We're uh, going to be taking a little bit of an excursus from our study in Nehemiah just for today, and there's a reason why. Uh, when I have preached before through kind of more lengthy series in the Old Testament, meaning more than three months, uh, about halfway through historically, I felt the need to kind of bounce into the New Testament and take a look at what Jesus and the apostles had to say about the topic before us. So when we were doing a study in Daniel, we spent months in the book of Daniel. We about halfway through went into the Old or New Testament and looked at what Jesus had to say about the end times, which was a, a great little excursus into the New Testament. Did the same thing in Esther. Uh, when we were studying the book of Esther. So we're about halfway through the book of Nehemiah right now this winter here at our church studying this idea of how to get a second wind with God, how to be revived when we're feeling kind of defeated spiritually. And so we're going to bounce just this week into the New Testament, then we're going to get back to Nehemiah next week and take a look today at a, uh, the theme that Jesus addressed uh, quite often of where is God when he can't seem to be found? Not as a lost person, but as a follower of Jesus Christ, when you go through times where you just don't seem to be experiencing God, you're experiencing divine distance, what do you do at that point? That's what we're going to look at today. So some of you are saying, well, I'm not there right now in my life. I'm actually doing really well. That's okay. Live life long enough. You will get there. And today's message will matter greatly for you. So Cactus and Venue are joining us right now uh, with us for our teaching time. So welcome, guys. Let's all pray together, and uh, then we'll dive into the Word. Father, I thank you that you care about every person, each person here in this worship center, at our Cactus campus, at our venue, and that as we gather now to rally around your Word and your truth, that you give us wisdom and insight and God, we're grateful for all that you are to us. So God, as we unpack a, a rather touchy but really not difficult subject at the end of the day because your word addresses it so clearly, I pray that you would encourage, Lord, the lion's share of us, that you would encourage us today and we would walk out knowing how good and faithful you truly are even in the times when we aren't seeing clearly. And I pray this in Christ's name, amen. So I can remember one of the very first times that it happened that I experienced divine distance in my life. I'd been a Christian for just a few years. I was on my way to seminary, just graduating from college, and I was about 22 years old. And I was at a very, very difficult time emotionally in my life. I was experiencing a lot of anxiety being a young man. I had always been a worrier. My dad, when I was in high school, my dad's a very sarcastic man, gave me a plaque when I was in high school that said, don't just sit there, worry. <laughs> That's my dad. And, and, and he recognized that I was a worrier. And so even after I became a Christian, I still hadn't nailed down Matthew 6. I was worrying a lot. And, and I had a lot of depression, too, at that time in my life. And through those emotional struggles, as I was just starting my graduate studies in theology, I felt very far from God. That C.S. Lewis talks about a first fervor that we have in our salvation, where when you first come to Christ, you're on fire. And then when those fires die down, and it took years for me, it kind of hit a low. And I felt very far from God. And I remember uh, walking across one football field one night, late at night at the college attached to the seminary that I was at. It was a cold, dark, windy Chicago night. And I was walking across this football field. It took me about a half an hour to get 100 yards. And I was having it out with God. 
And I was just laying my case, kind of like the psalmist, before God saying, you know, I'm, I'm in this for you. I've given my life to you. I'm serving you. And I feel far from you. And I don't understand why. And I don't know what's going on. I don't think I want to be, be this be the start of my ministerial career. And I got to the end of that hundred yards, about a half an hour later, of prayer walking and nothing. Nothing. There was nothing in the stars. There was nothing written in the grass. I didn't feel any better. I just thought there was nothing. But over time, and we'll talk about this a little bit later, that passed. And then it happened again. It was in the early 90s. I was now a pastor in Detroit, and I was learning to cut my teeth. I'd married Kim. I had a couple of young kids. The church was doing great. And I went through a dry period again. And I didn't understand it. This time it had nothing to do with anxiety and depression. I just felt very far from God. See, God promised never to leave me or forsake me. He's promised that to you too. But that doesn't mean, as we'll see in a minute, that, that there aren't times that we feel or perceive a, a lot of distance from Him. That doesn't mean there aren't times when we don't experience answers to prayer or Him breaking into our world. And I was experiencing that as a pastor. So I decided to go see a therapist. I went to a Christian counselor and I laid my case before him and I said, you know, I, here, here's what I'm experiencing and I don't understand why, I just feel very far from God. And I'll never forget what he said, the true story. He looked at me and he said, well, you know, Jamie, some people never really get a strong sense of God's presence in their lives and maybe that's going to be your lot in life. And I remember thinking, that's not worth 80 bucks an hour. And so I stopped seeing him, and I used the money to buy a motorcycle. I did. <laughs> and though I enjoyed the motorcycle, that didn't help my divine distance that I was feeling. But over time, and we'll talk about how in a minute, that too, that season passed. Then it happened again uh, in the last decade. Some of you are thinking, man, you're experienced at this. I am. It happened between my first and second senior pastor. I was in uh, London, Ontario. And, and again, things were going great at the church, great with my family, but I felt far from God. As the deer panteth for the water, so my soul longeth after thee. That was kind of my mantra. I felt far from God. And I can remember this time explicitly because it was at that time where I was on a study break failing miserably at what we call contemplative prayer, where you try to connect with God through a contemplative style of prayer. And I was just, that wasn't working at all. And I got an email from my home church in Cleveland where they said, hey, would you come consider, come back and be our senior pastor? And I thought that's a huge decision. And I remember crying out to God saying, how can I make a decision like that when I feel so very far away from you? Are you starting to get the idea? Seasons, and I mean, folks, sometimes long seasons, months even into years, where the well of God's experienced presence seems to run dry. It's very biblical. Look at how David put it in Psalm 22. Maybe you can relate. Look up here on the screen. He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh, my God, I cry by day, but you don't answer. And by night, but I find no rest. Now, now, let's think about this very clearly, folks. Did God actually leave David? No. Because the promise is God never leaves us. I mean, as David would write in Psalm 139, you can go to the depths of Sheol, and God is still with you. But the reality is, is that there are times, and we'll talk about why in a second here, where our experience of his presence 
is not very strong. And it's at those moments that we're experiencing what I would call divine distance. There are seasons like that where we say like David, you, O God, do not answer. I have no rest. And so the question that I want us to wrestle with in our time remaining this morning is what do we do when that happens? What do you do when you've applied all the things that we've learned about in this series in Nehemiah on how to get revived? And I mean things like applying wisdom and generosity and prayer and service and relational community. Think of all the subjects we've been looking at and the fog still remains. One author calls this the winter of the soul. I've always latched onto that for years until I moved to Arizona. Because in Arizona, winter is not a bad thing, right? As Pat said earlier, Actus and Venue, Pat was teasing us about our, our, our winter brothers who come down and sisters from the north. And the reality is, however, any of us who have ever been to the Midwest or to the west or anywhere to the north knows that winter is a very long season. And it's cold and it's windy. And, and, and so not every day is a rainbow day. John Orberg in his writings calls, you know, those spiritual highs that we have rainbow days. We're kind of like Noah, you see a rainbow and you're really excited, you're feeling good spiritually, but then you go through wintry seasons where things are much colder and, and you feel much more distant from God. What do we do during those wintry seasons? And to answer this, I want to give you one primary overriding scriptural principle. It's a piece of theology that will become a really good friend to you to help you navigate divine distance. And then we're going to follow it up with three things that we can do to apply this main thing. So here's the main thing. And this is something we just have to own if you're ever going to navigate divine distance. And that is when it comes to God, faith and faithfulness are higher values than emotional or physical experience. Man, I'm telling you, in our day and age where we have elevated experience to such a high level, this is such a good thing for you and I to learn. That when it comes to God, and I mean his love for you and his involvement in your life, he smacks something upon the label of your life and says, get this Christian, faith and faithfulness are much higher values to me than emotional or physical experience even when it comes to God. And, and so let's be very clear on this. Though God definitely gives us his abiding presence, as we said earlier, Jesus said, I will never leave you or forsake you. And though God even wants us to experience it regularly through answered prayer and worship experiences and times when we sense his presence with us. At the same time, God has also told us that we live in a very fallen world. Do you know that here today? I mean, you and I live in a fallen world. Think about this. We have fallen minds, fallen hearts, fallen behaviors, and fallen circumstances. We have fallen friends, fallen kids, fallen jobs. We have fallen economies, fallen politics, fallen educational structures. Look around you. It's all fallen. God says there's not one aspect of your life that hasn't been touched in some way by sin and the fall. And he knows this. And so when it comes to his presence, now, now here it is, even though he says he will never leave us and forsake us because we're fallen and everything around us has fallen, that means there's going to be plenty of times that his presence is affected by the fall and that we're not always going to feel or experience it. 
And so what God does to compensate for that, and this is so cool, is that he says, well, what matters more and most to me when it comes to your walk is not whether you have some visceral, emotional, or physical sense of my presence all the time, but whether you are faithful. And whether faith is riding strong in your soul, because as we're going to see in a minute, that faith is the experience. That faith is what he wants us to have in our souls riding strong there, that even when we have divine distance, it's that faith that keeps us going and growing. Now, let's do a couple of things. First, I want to show you how eminently biblical this is, so that we're all convinced this is the truth. And the guy who taught us this was Jesus. So if you brought a Bible, go to Luke chapter 18, verses 1 through 8. If you didn't bring a Bible, uh, that's okay. I have the scripture on your outline in your bulletin. I'm also going to put it up here on the screen. And so Jesus is telling one of his 40-plus parables here, and let's dial into what he says. It says, And he, Jesus, told them a parable to the effect that they ought to always pray and not lose heart. He said, In a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him, saying, Give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says, And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Now, there are multiple levels going on in this parable, this story that Jesus tells us. So let's make sure we understand it rightly. And obviously the main storyline here is that you've got this poor widow who is experiencing injustice. And so she's pounding on the door of this judge to get him to open the door and hear her, but he won't. And so she keeps pounding, and as she persistently pounds, eventually this guy relents, opens the door, hears her case, and gives her justice. So pause right there. You and I feel far from God at times in our life, just part of the machination of our Christian experience. And so what God says is to make sure we spend lots of time in his word, lots of time praying, lots of time serving, lots of time hanging out with other believers even when we don't want to because we need them, learning to give generously and all the things that we do. And what God says is that as we do those things, as we continue to seek and ask and knock, he's going to eventually open the door. And we're going to see the light of day again. And God, who is good, will open the door and reveal himself more and more to us. And that's exactly what Jesus is saying happens. This is how we live the Christian life. Now, I find it interesting, however, that Jesus' story does not end here. Not at all. I mean, he could have ended the story there halfway through at the end of verse 7 and then halfway through verse 8 and said, okay, just keep praying and keep doing all these things. But he doesn't. He ends a story with a question that almost seems to come out of nowhere. It almost seems to go against what he was just saying. He says, nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Now, i got to ask you, why do you think Jesus asked this question? I mean, he just got done saying, you know, that, that there's going to be times of, of divine distance, times when we don't feel like God is opening the door, but just keep praying, keep knocking. Eventually he will. And then he caps us off by saying, but when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? See, what I think Jesus is doing here is revealing to us that faith and its shadow faithfulness is the highest 
value in our relationship with God higher than any experience or open door, to go back to the parable, that we might have this side of heaven. Think about it. Basically, Jesus is insinuating, but what if the judge didn't open the door? Would faith still be found? But what if justice was not served? Would you still be faithful as a follower? Or for our purposes this morning, what if these long seasons of divine distance continue to go on and on? Will you be faithful? Will you still trust him? And will you still call him good? And will you still have faith in your life? Or are you only in it for the experience? Are you only in it for what God might do for you? See, this is one of the greatest New Testament challenges we could ever have. God is basically saying, you know, you're blaming me for feeling far from you. I'm turning the tables, putting it back on you and saying, are you going to still be faithful? Or are you only in this for the rainbow days? Because rainbow days come and go. You're now having a downpour week. You're having a deluge month. You're having a wintry season. Let's see what you're made of, Christian. Let's see if faith and faithfulness can match what I've put in you by the power of my spirit. See, see, here's why faith is so important. Most Christians, I don't think, really understand this. Faith, according to the Bible, and its very definition, assumes that we don't see what we're trusting in. Do you all understand that? Faith, by its very nature, even our secular definition of faith today, the way we use the English concept of faith, assumes that it's bridging a gap, that you have partial knowledge, partial experience, but because you need to to move forward, you have to trust or have faith in something to bridge the gap in order to experience it. It sounds complicated, it's not. I'll use a stool as an example. This stool is well made, it seems rather sturdy, nobody's messed with it. And so I have confidence based upon my knowledge of the stool that it's going to hold me up. But I gotta tell you, it still takes some faith, not very much, mind you, but some faith that as I sit my bottom on that stool, it, it's going to hold me up. I, I have to have some faith, not blind faith, it's, it's faith based on knowledge, but some faith still that it will hold me up. So it would be a bummer if it didn't because it would ruin the illustration. But, <laughs> but, but as I sit on it, it does indeed hold me up. But don't miss, it was faith that bridged the gap. I wasn't positive it would do it. I, I couldn't see all known scenarios so I still needed to trust that this chair would hold me up. My kids all drive. They, they've been driving for years now. When they first started learning to drive, I had to have faith that based upon their well-trained driving skills from me and the company that I paid lots of money to teach them how to drive, as well as faith that, that Toyota or Nissan or whoever I was using, okay, for the Ford, uh, would, would, would have good airbags in case, God forbid, something would happen, it took a lot of faith every time my kid got behind the wheel, amen? We exercise faith all the time precisely because we do not see. And faith is a powerful thing. That's why God says it's so important with him. Look, look at what the Bible says. Remember Doubting Thomas? Raise your hand if you remember Doubting Thomas. Most everybody knows who he is. He, he was the apostle that didn't believe Jesus rose from the dead. So Jesus appeared to him. He felt his hands. He felt his side. And he said, my, my Lord and my God. And, and he believed. Look at how Jesus responds. Look up here on the screen, John 20, verse 29. Jesus said to him, Thomas, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen, yet have believed. 
Sounds like God puts a pretty high premium on faith there. Paul would say it this way in Romans 8. He would say, for in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But we hope for what we do not see. And we wait, with it for, we wait for it with patience. And then the writer of Hebrews in defining faith. It's the only direct definition of faith in the New Testament. He says, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for. The conviction of things, say it with me, not seen. Do you get it? Faith by its very nature bridges the gap. Now, don't miss this. Exactly when experience is lacking is when God says we need faith. And so that's why when you and I are experiencing divine distance, that's where God says, you don't get it, Christian. It's now more than ever that I'm placing a higher premium on your faith and your trust in me to navigate this divine distance. Faith is always more important than, than, than anything else but love. And the reality is, is that he says in divine distance, faith is your best friend. Faith is what's going to get you through. And you're saying faith in what? Think of all the things that you and I have to have faith in when it comes to God. We have to have faith that he exists, faith that he is good, faith that he has come to us in Jesus and forgiven us for our sins, faith that he hears us when we pray, faith that he cares, faith that heaven is real. And again, none of it's blind faith. Don't hear me say that. I have faith that this stool is sturdy. We talk all the time here about how you and I have faith philosophically, historically, theologically, and all the things that we believe about God. We have evidences that these things are true. But it still takes faith because we do not see him. And we don't always experience him. And that's where faith comes in. And that's why it is so important. There was a, I have a mentor and a friend of mine that I regularly try to spend some time with who, who helps me. I guess I would maybe call him my spiritual director, just a guy who, who helps me a lot in my own walk with the Lord. And a while back he was telling me a story of how his dad, when he was at the end of his life, his dad, who was a very strong man of God, a very faithful man, a Plymouth brethren, uh, was in the hospital. And he was in the hospital for two weeks, and he didn't die, but, but it was a very touch-and-go time. And my friend went to pick up his dad in the hospital and he put him in the back seat of the car and he was taking him home to his mom and, and to other family members. And, and his dad was just talking to his son as he was driving down the road and he said, you know, when I was in the hospital there, you know, mom came to visit me and, and he said, you know, friends and family and church members came to visit me. He said, but I, I just never sensed God's presence. He said, I've served him all my life and I've known him, but I just, just never sensed the presence of God. And then my friend says he looked in the rearview mirror and his dad had a tear rolling down his cheek and he assumed his dad was grieving the fact that he hadn't experienced God in his time of need. And his dad with a tear in his eyes said, you know, this amazes me about God, that he would trust me enough to know that even when I don't experience his presence, he knows I still love him and he knows that I'm still faithful. See, see that's a Christian. That's somebody who understands that faith and faithfulness are much more important than those rainbow days that seem to come and seem to go. Because here's the deal. You have control, as we're going to see in just a second here, over your level of faith and faithfulness. You have control of how hard you're going to bolster your faith or how hard you're not. And so God says, in your time of need, by all means, put a premium like I do on your faith and your faithfulness over and against all else. So if you're tracking with me this morning, and Cactus and Venue, if you're with us, the answer is, well, how do you bolster your faith? 
The question is, how do we stay faithful, full of faith, especially when we're in the winter of our soul? I want to wrap up with three things rather briefly here. we got about 15 minutes before we have to go to our elders fund offering. Three things that I want to share with you that the Bible shares of what you and I can do to strengthen our faith during times of divine distance. Here's the first one, and that is that we need to use suffering and dry times to fortify and even feed our faith. And you're saying, what's that about? No greater teacher exists in the New Testament than Jesus when it comes to this. And there's an amazing scene in the New Testament that many of you are familiar with where Jesus is about ready to go to the cross, and he's in the Garden of Gethsemane, and as he's getting ready to go to the cross, this he knows. It is going to be a time of cosmic divine distance. That God, who is a trinity from all eternity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, is going to be separated when Jesus is on that cross because the Father cannot be in the presence of sin. And as the full sin of the world is placed upon Jesus on that cross, the Father will have to turn his face away. And something's never happened in the eternal history of the Godhead is going to happen. And Jesus is anticipating this in the garden. Look at what he does. Look up here on the screen. It says, it says, Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, Sit here while I go over there and pray. And going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Again, for a second time, he went away and prayed, My Father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. So guys, don't miss what Jesus is doing here. It, just simply anticipating uh, uh, the suffering and distance from God that he is going to experience. He engages his faith in prayer, not once, but twice. He postures himself humbly before the Father and says, you know, the flesh, this human part of me, you know, wants to maybe avoid this, but that's not what this is about. This is about me and God, and I'm going to fortify my faith during this time of even anticipating the distance. And he does so through prayer. And, and you know, as, as I do an audit of some of the early times that I experienced divine distance, again, that football field back in Chicago in my pre-seminary days, I got to tell you, I didn't know a lot about the Bible then. That's why I was going to seminary. I didn't know a lot about God. I'd only been a Christian a few days. But this I did know, that when I was feeling far from God, the worst thing that I could do is run from him and not to him. Amen? I mean, why would you do that? So even as a young Christian, I thought, well, this is a time for a nice, cold, long walk in which I laid out before God. And those we're going to see in a minute, that didn't solve everything. It kept me in the ring with God, and that's the point. That when you and I are going through difficult times, the last thing we want to do is get out of the ring with God. But we want to stay in the ring with God and engage our faith. And though our example here is prayer, do we all understand that there's a bunch of other spiritual disciplines that God says you need to strengthen during times of dryness? Things like service, fellowship, Bible study, giving. And it's amazing because the temptation is, is that when you are most hurting, these are the things that are most easy to go, Right? I can't tell you how many times somebody will come to me and they'll say to me, you know, Jamie, I'm really hurting right now. I feel very far from God. And I'll say, well, tell me about your prayer life. Tell me about your quiet times and your devotional life. Tell me about where you're serving. Tell me about the Christians that you're hanging around with right now. And, you know, eight times out of ten, four times out of five, people will say to me, they'll say, well, I'm kind of weak on those right now. 
And I was thinking, what, what, why is that? Why is he God feels far away? And so I was doing strong with that. But now I'm I go, wow, the one thing you shouldn't have done, you're doing. And this is a silly example, but it, it works for at least me. As many of you know, I'm a Cleveland Browns fan. I'm, I'm one of the few. And, and, I, and I've, been a, I've been a Cleveland Browns fan because I'm from Cleveland. Bless you. And I've been a Browns fan <laughs> since the mid-1970s when I became conscious of football. And there's only a small window in the mid-1980s where the Browns even came close to being a winning, uh, having a winning season. And, and we all thought the second coming was right beyond that. And so it's, it's just been a... I've been a really downer road rooting for the Browns, but I will always stay faithful to them. Now, now, as a Browns fan, you, you get used to losing seasons. You just, you know, you kind of, you just kind of get used to that. And, 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 and so, you know, we, the day we have a winning season, we're just going to really feel great. Can you imagine if all of a sudden we found out that the reason that the Browns don't seem to win all that often is because nobody ever shows up for practice? Can you imagine an NFL team? in which you would come to find out that the reason that they're not winning is because they're just not trying very hard and no one's showing up for practice. I mean, that would be, it's so insane. It would just be scandalous. I, no NFL football team would ever allow something like that to happen. I mean, you're professionals. You're in this to win. So even to the Browns' credit, they get an A for trying. They just get a C for success. And they're, they're eventually going to get better. I really believe that because... You know, as we're going to see in a minute, there's weeping in the night, but joy comes in the morning. And so eventually it's going to happen. But you see, we Christians aren't even any better than the Browns on most days because when things get tough for us Christians, the first thing we do, now don't miss this, is we stop going to practice. See, that's what I find. We say, well, I, you know, God feels far away, so I think I'll return the favor. I'm not going to read the Bible as much. It doesn't seem to be working. By that we mean we're not getting our giddies from reading the Bible. It, it, prayer doesn't seem to work anymore. And you know what? Hanging around with Christians, that's a burden in the first place, so why should I do it now? And, and we kind of get out of the ring with God, and I just think to myself, and somebody once said this to me, he said, if God feels farther away, who moved? See, and sometimes, sometimes it, it is just the flesh. It is just living in the fallen world, and sometimes... Sometimes it's because we've also added to it. And so the reality is, is that you and I need to continue in the spiritual disciplines even during dry times. An author said it this way years ago. I love this statement, and, and maybe it won't grab you, but it's, it's been a friend of mine. He said, discipline is not the enemy of enthusiasm. Discipline is not the enemy of enthusiasm. We see discipline as a bad thing. We see discipline, oh, I have to do it. No, that's not the point. Discipline simply means it's something that you do because it's right to do, and you do it whether it makes you feel good or not. Amen? That's what a discipline is. And they're a good friend to you at the end of the day. And nowhere is discipline more healthy for us when it comes to reading the Word, praying, staying in the ring with God than when we feel far from Him. Quick story. I'm going to tell it very short. I've told it longer before, but one of my best friends back in Cleveland, who now has passed away and is with the Lord, was the associate pastor at my church for 28 years in Cleveland. During the last 10 years of his life, he had non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. He died at the age, I think, of 58 after a 10-year battle with non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. During that battle, it was amazing to watch his spiritual life. He began the battle when he had a stem cell transplant when they first diagnosed him, and the stem cell transplant didn't work. It didn't take the tumors away. And he battled tumors for 10 years, eventually his brain, and he went to be with the Lord about five or six years ago. After Doug had his first uh, stem cell transplant, the only stem cell transplant, he told me it was one of the most 
awful experiences you've ever gone through. To, to have your body, to, to take all the stem cells out of it, and, and you deplete your body, and your, your immune system is shot, and, and, and they can't let people near you because you're so susceptible, and you feel awful. He, he said it was one of those experiences in the hospital for weeks where he just felt completely depleted. And, and, and he said to me, opposite of what my friend's dad experienced, he said to me, he, he would always cry when he told the story, God met me at that time. And I felt so incredibly close to him, even though my body was wasting away. And then he would say this. And he said, you know, for 50 years, I had quiet times every day. For 50 years, I read the Bible when I didn't want to. I prayed when I didn't want to. For 50 years, I had plenty of times with God in which nothing happened. But when I needed him most, every one of those quiet times paid off. He said, because I knew how to be in the presence of God. You see, sometimes you and I go through dry times and we think, what's the use? What's the use of reading the Bible anymore? There is use in it. Stay in the ring with God. Fortify your faith during these dry times. It will only pay off in the end. Now, some of you didn't like that point, And if you didn't, you're going to hate the second point. But I'm going to give it to you anyways. Because here's the second thing the Bible says. And that is to practice obedience. That when you and I are experiencing divine distance, practice obedience. Now listen very closely to this one because the logic behind this is impeccable. Here's something we all know. Sin makes a mess of our lives. Can you own that here today? It does. I, I, I love my buddy Schrader when he would tell his testimony, Tom Schrader, a pastor, tells testimony. I love how he says it. He says, you know, for 36 years, 30-whatever years, I wasn't a Christian. When somebody shared with me that I'm a sinner, I didn't have any problem with that one. He said, I had 30-some-odd years of empirical evidence that I was a sinner. And he said, most lost people would. So even as Christians, we know sin makes a mess of our lives. Here's what we need to understand. Sin makes even more of a mess of our lives when we are dry and distant from God already. In other words, if there was ever a time where you want to keep your life pure and set apart... If there's ever a time that you don't want to complicate it by falling into some nasty, sinful pattern or behavior, it's when you're already feeling distant from God. See, see you and I experience this on a smaller level in our human relationships. You know, early on, Kim and I would fight a lot in our marriage, and, you know, I'd be feeling distant from her, and so I'd come home, and I know you've had experiences like this. You know, you'd come home, and you, you really want to try to connect with your wife, and because you're an idiot, you, within five minutes, you're picking a fight with her. You ever experienced that? It's like, I didn't plan on that, but I'm an idiot, so I did do that. So I already felt distant from Kim. I pick a fight with her. Now let me ask a question. Did that fight help or hinder my intimacy with my wife? Well, duh, it would hinder it. Same with God. You see, if you're already distant from God, the last thing you want to do is let your guard down and fall into some type of sin that is only going to make you feel more distant from him. And here's where it gets insidious. We think that engaging in sinful things will actually help because they kind of act as a false oasis. They make us feel better in the moment. But the reality is they never deliver. Sin can never deliver. And that's why obedience is so important. Uh, quick scripture and then a couple examples. Philippians 2.12 is our proof text here. Paul says, therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. What's he saying there? He's saying, look, you guys have been good at obedience up to this point, and if and when things get rough, man, continue down that road. As you've always obeyed, continue to do that. 
because it will only serve you well. So let's give some very real-life examples. Are you feeling distant from God right now? Just can't seem to find him right now? You're in one of those winters of the soul? Now is not the time to develop or go back into an Internet pornography addiction. It's not. Now is not the time for you to begin to take out your anger built upon frustration, because you're frustrated spiritually, on your wife or your children or your coworkers. Now is not the time to see if too much alcohol, maybe just drinking a little bit more, might make you feel like you did during the partying days. Now is not the time to to, to get lazy at work because you feel like you need more rest and threaten your job. Now is not the time to buy things that you can't afford and go into debt. I I could go on and on. You see, we do those things during dry times because we think they're going to make us feel better. And sin is always works that way. Sin always says, come over here. Come over here. God's not delivering for you. Just come over here. I'll make you feel better. But it's a lie. You feel better in the short term, and then the next morning you feel so much worse because you've just taken the distance that you already have from God and you've multiplied it. And so you, ne- you always want to keep up your guard when you're in dry times. Maybe this will help. This was really helpful to me. Again, uh, one of the mentors that I see uh, lives up in Denver. And a few years ago, I was experiencing what I would call kind of a, a mild winter of the soul. So you're going, man, you seem to experience this a lot. I do. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a disturbed person, but I can speak intelligently to this issue because of that. And so I was experiencing kind of a small winter of the soul. And I went up and I, and, and, and I just laid out my case before my, my, my friend. And I said, you know, here's the deal. I said, I I love God. And I got a lot of faults, I really do. But one thing I know is that I love God and I want to know him more than anything else. And I want to help people know him. And I said, so confounded that I feel so far from him right now. That's just not right. And then I quoted the psalmist to my friend. I said, you know, as the deer pants for the water, so my soul longeth after thee. That's what I feel right now. I'll never forget what happened next. He looked at me and he said, wow, you use that psalm like it's a bad thing. He said, David quoted that as if it's a good thing. He said, Jamie, could it be that the thirst that you have for God right now is the experience? I said, what do you mean? He said, could it be that that you're looking at God saying, I'm thirsty and you're not quenching my thirst? And God says, that's not going to happen till heaven. Right now, the thirst that drives you to me is the experience, but you're cursing it, not thanking me for it. i got to tell you, that revolutionized my view of God. You say your pastor's too old to learn. I'm not. That was just a few years ago, and I came back, and I was with an elder on that trip, and he and I were both talking about that the whole plane ride back, and I said, oh, Lord, thank you for that. And now, almost every week, you, you, you got a thirsty pastor every week. I, I say to God, you know, as the deer panteth for the water, so my soul longeth after thee. But I say, thank you, God, for that thirst. And here's my promise, God. I won't try to quench it in other areas. I won't try to get that thirst quenched over here or over there because I know that that's only going to draw me farther from you. And even though I wish you would quench more of my thirst now, I know some of that's reserved for heaven. So I stay laser beam focused on you. And in that thirst is the experience. Wow, only God. Again, you might not like that. You'll hate the third one. So here's the third thing that we do. 
and that is that we persevere. We persevere. Now, now this one really is your friend. Here's what God says. If you're in a wintry season of the soul, if it's going on for weeks, days, even months, even years, then your job as a Christian is to tie a knot at the end of your rope and hang on for dear life. Because why? He says, it's only for a season. How do we know this? Psalm 30, verse 5. I love this psalm. For his, God's anger is but for a moment, and his favor is for a lifetime. Here it is. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes in the morning. We have a saying in our modern-day world, this too shall pass. You've heard that saying. That's good biblical theology. God promises that. He says you hang in there with him, that, that eventually that, that, that judge is going to open the door, <laughs> and, and, and eventually the, the morning will come and there will be joy. One last story and we're done. I, uh, I, I, again, I've, I've been in therapy a lot too as a Christian for the last 30 years. And so after I saw that one therapist that I fired and bought a motorcycle, then I went through another season of dryness and went and saw another therapist in Detroit. And, and, and therapists, had a, had, they had a lot of business in Detroit. And so I uh, went and saw another therapist. And I was telling him about some of my dryness. And, and, it, and it really was an amazing thing he did. He, he looked at me one night and he said, look, dude. He said, you know, I'll say the opposite thing the other guy said to you. He said, I just promise you, it's, it's, it's not going to last forever. He, he said, right now you're in a rough place. Right now you're trying to find your way clear to God and you're staying focused on him. I promise you this will pass. And at the time, I really hadn't latched on to Psalm 30, verse 5, so I was tempted to look at him and say, that's all you got? That's all you got? 80 bucks an hour? What is it now, like 150 bucks an hour? 80 bucks an hour and that's all you got? I'm buying another motorcycle, but I didn't do that. I thought, no, that actually makes biblical sense. And you know what I found over the years? And this is what I want to leave you with. As you fortify your faith during dry times, as you practice obedience during dry times, as you persevere during dry times, here's what I know about God. He loves you. He is not going to leave you as orphans. Jesus said that. He has never left you, but he's now, even as you hang in there with you, going to give you joy in the morning again. But you got to hang in there. Got to protect your faith, protect your life. And as you do, you're going to see morning again because God is always good for it and he loves you. Uh, let's pray. Father, thank you for all that you are to us. Thank you for your grace that knows no bounds. Thank you that there's not one person here in this room or at Cactus or Campus that is beyond the reach of your grace. And, and we're so grateful for that. So, Father, I pray a special blessing over folks here today that uh, this message might have been especially pertinent for because they're in that that, that wintry season of the soul, I pray, God, that you would help that dear Christian to continue to remember that faith and faithfulness are the name of the game and more important than any experience we could ever have. Uh, Lord, remind them, too, that there are things they can do to fortify their faith and not to, to give up showing up for practice. And, and that, Father, too, you would also help them to practice obedience and, and to persevere during this time. And, Lord, as there might be weeping in the night, remind them that joy is just around the corner. And so, Lord, I pray that blessing upon them. Thanks that you love us. As we go to our elder fund offering now, Lord, uh, giving to those in need in our church and in our community, would you use these resources to bless, to bless those around us. You've blessed us so much as a people. Use this now, Lord, to be a blessing to those in need in our community and our church. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.